those that are joining us online, our online family, as well as any guests and any guests that are with us in the room today. What I've noticed over the years is that sometimes people like to have a personal connection with someone who is famous or of notoriety. And it's kind of like the small town in northeast Nebraska where I went to Bible college. And as you drove into the small town, you were likely to find a billboard with an announcement that Norfolk, Nebraska was the birthplace of Johnny Carson. Now, sadly, many of you, you're not even old enough to know who he was anymore. <laughs> really. And I'm wondering, though, from those of you who are here, does anyone know of someone of fame or notoriety in your ancestral line? Anybody got any famous people? I bet there's a few of you that are here. Well, I want you to know, I, I actually did my own ancestry search, and I discovered that I can actually trace my lineage back to both Noah and Adam in the Bible. <laughs> I bet a lot of you could, actually, too. Uh, today, we're going to be exploring the Old Testament book of Ruth. Uh, which is just a four-chapter story that's layered with some tragedy and some blessing and a reminder to trust God. And it's named after our holy hero today. Ruth was selected to be one of our holy heroes, not only because we didn't want our series to be ruthless, I already shared that, but also because of how Ruth's daring decision to put her faith in God turned an absolutely hopeless situation into an incredible inclusion into the lineage of Christ himself. Uh, Ruth is really just a remarkable story of loyal love and the faithfulness of God. Loyal love and the faithfulness of God. And as fascinating as the story is by itself, I mean, there's more. The fact that the story actually finds its way into the Bible, is, it's amazing I mean, think about it, a foreigner female hero is highlighted for her loyalty and praised by an ancient patriarchal culture. I mean, it took some forward thinking, some guts, and maybe some divine providence to include Ruth in the Bible. Now, it's a short but very inspiring story. It's only 85 verses long. You can actually read the story in less time than I'm going to spend talking about it today, but I'm still going to talk about it so that when you do read it this week, right, you're going to read it this week, you'll hopefully value its significance even more. Now, the principal characters in the story are really just ordinary people with some hard lives. And you know, many times I notice in life, uh, we get offered the option, I have some good news and some bad news. What do you want to hear first? I'm kind of interested to find out. How many of you want to hear the good news first? Any of you like to hear? Not very many. How many of you want to hear the bad news first? Yeah, most people <laughs> save the good news for last. Well, as you might imagine, I came across some good news, bad news scenarios for pastors. And uh, one that I found was, hey, pastor, good news. Church attendance rose dramatically over the last three weeks. Bad news is you were on vacation. That might have been why it went up. Good news, Pastor. The youth in our church thought of you enough to come to your house for a surprise visit. Bad news, they came in the middle of the night armed with toilet paper and shaving cream. Not so good. Good news is the elder board approved of your new job description the way you wrote it. Bad news is they were so inspired by it, they formed a search committee to find somebody capable of filling the position. Ouch, ouch. Well, good news and bad news, but what if all you had was bad news? 
And it began with a severe famine and then went downhill from there. Well, folks, in the first five verses of Ruth chapter 1, we discover there that Naomi's entire world had fallen apart. Let's go ahead and jump in uh, to Ruth chapter 1. We'll read the first five verses as we get started here. And it begins with these words, in the days when the judges ruled. And so it's cast in the same era as the book of Judges in the Old Testament. That would be about 1200 B.C. And if you've read the book of Judges, you know that there were some spiritual highs and some spiritual lows. When the people of Israel would follow devotedly after God, it was a time of of, of spiritual highs. When they would forsake God, it would be a time of spiritual lows. They'd go through some challenges. And, And on this particular occasion, it was one of the spiritual lows. Because we go on to read these words, and there was famine in the land. And so a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now that seems kind of innocent. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judea, and they went to Moab and they they lived there. And I'd like to dig, just if we could, before we go on a little below the surface, it should be a little disconcerting, really, when we read how this Israelite family chose to abandon their hometown of Bethlehem. And if you've heard the word Bethlehem before, it's a hint as to where this story is ultimately going to lead. And the literal meaning of the name Bethlehem is actually the house of bread, But you know, God had warned his people that if they abandoned him, there would be some negative outcomes such as this famine. Why? Because when people would forsake God, he would try to get their attention. I think I really appreciate how C.S. Lewis states it. He says, pain insists on being attended to, doesn't it? God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consequences, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And you know, anytime we abandon the ways of God, there will end up being some serious consequences. But never because God has forsaken us, but actually because he'd like to get our attention and draw us back. And as usual, if you've ever heard, uh, anytime you feel far away from God, guess who it is who moved? It wasn't God, it was, it was you. Well, it's even more shocking when we learn that Elimelech's name actually means my God is king. And yet you notice Elimelech was willing to exchange the kingship of God for some of the tasty food that he found over in Moab. And so rather than trusting in and relying on God, this Israelite family opts instead to take up residence in a very pagan country. And their situation, we're going to find, did not improve at all. Because when we get to verse 3, it says, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with just her two sons. And they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they'd lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. That's just like bad news on top of bad news. Have you ever known somebody in life who it seems like if they didn't have bad luck, they wouldn't have any luck at all? And has that, has that ever felt like your story of life? 
Well, I think I've been pretty fortunate uh, because I, I live what I would consider a pretty blessed life. But I've got to be honest, there's still been times in my life when it felt like bad news was kind of piling on. And that's how this story begins and what it had to feel like for Naomi. I mean, for her, really, it appeared that all was lost for her. Uh, she lost her home. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. Famine and death now characterized her existence. Hope had vanished in her life. Uh, her, other than her two foreign daughter-in-laws, she had no financial provision and no support system whatsoever. And it was clear due to her horrible circumstances that only bitterness remained. And she actually pointed that out herself when she said to her daughter, she said, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Now, I think it needs to be noted that even though it was her family that actually turned their backs on him, Naomi declares that God had turned his back on her. And I've, I've noticed that people are like that sometimes. Because even though they've decided to ignore God in their lives or only pursue him when they get in a bind, they often blame God for the decisions that they've made. And it's kind of like what the proverb writer brings up in Proverbs 19. It says, a person's own folly leads to their ruin, and yet their heart rages against the Lord. But this, this folks, is where the story really gets interesting. Because when Naomi declared that God had no loyal love for her, Ruth displayed loyal love as she made one of the most destiny-altering decisions in human history. Because when Naomi decided that she'd had enough and it was time to her for her to return home, she encouraged her two daughter-in-laws to go back also to their families. And Orpah right away took her up on the offer, but Ruth decided she was going to remain loyal to Naomi. And this Moabite woman declared that she would now follow the God of Israel and would remain loyal to this broken and embittered woman as well. The outsider was actually more loyal than the insider. And here was Ruth's speech. She was encouraged to leave. She said, Naomi, don't, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I'm going to go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people will be my people. And here's the big one. Your, your God is now going to be my God. See, Ruth's loyal love was so great that it's actually one of the premier examples of this virtue being expressed in Scripture. And that's why her heartfelt speech to this day has been part of numerous wedding ceremonies. I mean, the wedding vows of, of uh, many people years ago would quote the King James version of this uh, verse where we have one of those three-word words because it says, whithersoever thou goest, I will go. And because of her loyal love, not only would Ruth's descendants become royalty, but her name was going to appear in the ancestry of Christ. And it immediately shows up in Matthew chapter 1 in that long list of genealogy. And we see there in verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, and there she is, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. How could that even become possible? And folks, I want you to remember, it's, it's all because Ruth surveyed the circumstances. 
and decided to align herself with the God of Naomi. And that one decision was going to reorient her entire life. But talk about, really, a true leap of faith. Because when Ruth and Naomi arrived back in Israel, they were dirt poor. Now, fortunately, God provided ancient Israel with a system of compassion and care for the poor. And it was in the form of something called gleanings. You see, when farmers would go through their fields to gather their harvest, they would often miss as much as 25% of the grain. And they were instructed that they couldn't go back through a second time to gather it. That was to be left in the field for the poor so they could actually provide for themselves. Well, Naomi knew this, and so when she got back to town, Naomi knew she had a relative on her husband's side whose name was Boaz. And so Naomi sent Ruth to gather gleanings from his field, likely unaware that Ruth's reputation had actually preceded her. Because when they met, here's what Boaz already knew about Ruth. He says, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland, and you came to live with the people you did not know before. See, you got to remember, folks, Ruth had left behind the support system she'd grown up with. But Boaz actually saw through what was really happening. Ruth had placed herself now under the care of the God of Israel. That's what she was doing. I'm placing myself under the care. And the reason we know that is because in verse 12, uh, that's really what Boaz says. He just says to her, hey, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have gone to take refuge. Well, you know, Naomi heard about their interaction and saw an opportunity and played matchmaker, advising Ruth on how to romance Boaz. And, you know, before they knew it, they fell in love. And here's what's great. Essentially, Ruth proposes to Boaz, asking him to take both her and Naomi in. And there was some protocol that Boaz had to work through because another relative actually had the right of first refusal, but it all got sorted out. And Boaz and Ruth would eventually marry and have a child. And when you read through the book of Ruth this week, like you're going to read through the book of Ruth, right? Uh, see if you wouldn't agree with me that I, I, think this, I think this story has all the makings of a Hallmark movie. Not that I've ever watched a Hallmark movie, but Diane has watched a lot of Hallmark movies. <laughs> Yet it's far more than just a nice story with a heartwarming ending. Folks, Ruth is yet another example of how God can enter the narrative story of your life at any time and be able to amazingly bring beauty from ashes. Because see, even though God's rarely mentioned in the book of Ruth, he was always working behind the scenes to bring better out of her bitter. And the child that was born to Ruth and Boaz became actually a sign for Naomi. And that sign was a clear answer to the bitter question that she had asked herself in chapter one. Could God's loyal love actually be trusted despite the circumstances that she had found herself in there? And please don't let the simplicity of the story keep you from recognizing the constancy of God's loyal love. Naomi, who'd had her whole life unravel, unravel at the beginning of the story, who doubted that God was showing her loyal love, and who had lost all hope. 
discovered that in the midst of these very broken trials, God's loyal love for her had never changed. He had not abandoned her. In fact, he'd not only worked in her life, but through these very painful circumstances, he'd brought her into the lineage of David to the very line that the Messiah Jesus would come from. But do you think she always saw or felt God's loyal love? Probably not. No, at times it probably had to be horribly dark for her. But God's loyal love never turned away from her. Even when, in essence, her family kind of turned their backs on him and fled to Moab, God did not stop showing his loyal love to her or or to us. And I think it's interesting. The only reason that Naomi discovered the loyal love of God was because of the faith of her devoted daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is our holy hero today because despite her own bitter experiences, she chose to place herself under God's care. So why, why would that be important for you and I today? Because what I've discovered about life is, folks, life is going to throw bitter experiences our way. And some of you here who are younger, maybe haven't gotten to that point yet, I just want you to know those, those days are going to come in some way or another. Now, i got to be honest, when I hear the word bitter... I think about bitter taste. That's what I think about, bitter taste. Uh, that some things leave in your mouth. <laughs> kind of like how this, this poor kid found out the hard way. The child will not stop insisting on tasting this. I keep telling him it's going to be gross, but he does not want to listen. So I'm going to let him find out for himself. to make us laugh because you know the problem with bitter experiences is that they usually make us cry because that's that's how bad bitter is and if you you haven't already experienced some of those bitter experiences in your life you will and folks that's because we, we live in a broken world that contains sickness and disease and accidents as well as broken people experiencing broken relationships. So somewhere along the line, someone significant in your life may die. Or maybe your own health may take a turn for the worse. Or someone that you trust might betray you. Or you lose your job that you trusted in so much. And the problem with bitter experiences is that they usually mess with our sense of fairness. How come this is happening to me. God, why are you allowing this? It feels like you've abandoned me. It's kind of like the psalmist when he cried out in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? You know, what's interesting is Jesus actually quoted that verse when he hung on the cross in his bitter experience. 
And so could, could we get a little bit transparent this morning? Because see, what I, what I can guarantee you is that everyone either in this room or joining us online is fighting a battle that we know nothing about. The person sitting in the same row with you, they look, they look like everything's going okay, but there's a lot of battles going on here that we know nothing about. And although none of our experiences are exactly the same, we're all going to end up dealing with life's bitternesses. I can remember years ago when Diane and I had our first miscarriage. It was right between our second and our third son. And what was so interesting to me is up to that point, and we were young, I didn't know anybody else who had ever had a miscarriage. But all of a sudden, once we had a miscarriage, we discovered so many other people that had also gone through that same bitter, disappointing grief in their life. And so in transparency, I would just want to say, so we could see today and just be aware, would you raise your hand if you've lost someone to death who was significant in your life just in this past year? I mean, look around, there's a lot of people here. Or would you raise your hand if you have had your health or someone's health you love take a turn for the worse? A lot of that goes on. There's some of you here who have had someone betray your trust in them or lost your job. We're all going to have bitter experiences in life to deal with. But what we learn from Ruth is that bitter experiences don't need to define us. And you know the hardest time it is to hear that? <laughs> it's when you're smack dab in the middle of a bitter experience. You don't want anybody saying that to you. But sometimes that's exactly when we need to take, make a choice. That's what I appreciate about what Tim Hansel had to say. He said, pain is inevitable. It's going to happen. But misery is optional. We cannot avoid pain, but we can avoid joy if we want to. And probably the person in this world I don't think I'll ever be able to forget who reminds me of that is a gal by the name of Leona Townsend. She was a part of a church that I pastored back in Iowa. And when I first met her, I remember her walking out of her room into the living room and she was pushing a walker. You could tell she was doing so with great pain. And as she told me her story, her husband was a farmer in Iowa. She had uh, two sons and a daughter. And her, her husband was a pilot and they were up flying a plane one time and it crashed. And her husband and her daughter, 12-year-old daughter, were killed, and her body was broken badly in the crash, but she survived. She still had two sons that were left, and one of her sons actually got a call to become a pastor and was attending Bible college in Ozark Christian College. And on his way home, he was a pilot too, flying home for Christmas vacation. His plane crashed, and he died. Now she's got one son. She should be, if anybody, bitter about her experiences, and yet when, when I met her, she's like, Brian, God's been so good to me. I've seen so much blessing from God in my life. Why is that? Because she was deciding something. See, I think Stephen Cuffey gets it right when he says, I am not a product of my circumstances. I'm a product of my decisions. You can't control what happens to you, but you can decide how you're going to respond to it. And so we see this in the life of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, where he acknowledges, he says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but you know we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we know God hasn't abandoned us. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And what we have to recognize is this sometimes, 
Just because something isn't a part of your life plan doesn't mean it's not a part of God's plan for your life. Because you see, even, even when Naomi thought that God's plan wasn't working, God was actually working his plan through Ruth. A plan that would literally change the course of human history. I mean, think big picture, because often what we think God does for us is just for us. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's for future generations. We tend to think of the right here and the right now, but God might be thinking nations and generations as he was with Ruth. So I'd want to ask this morning, what if the life you really want and the future God wants for you is hiding right now, and it's hiding inside your biggest problem, your worst failure, or your greatest fear? And if that would be true, Maybe, maybe we should stop asking God to get us out of difficult circumstances and start asking him what does he want to, us to get out of our difficult service, circumstances. See, the message of Ruth is that we can experience the faithfulness of God when in spite of our circumstances, we're willing to entrust ourselves to him. I think I've shared with you on several occasions Probably the most difficult season of ministry in my entire life for those three years just recently of 2020, 2021, and 2022. And there were so many times when I felt like, I, I don't think I'm going to make it or I'm just going to quit and give up. But you know, I got to tell you, I'm thankful that I didn't. Because now on this side, I see how God was using those moments to grow me in ways that I really needed to grow and he was deepening my faith in ways that they would have never been deepened. And it really is what the writer of Lamentations so beautifully captures. That's actually been written in a hymn. It's Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great faithful love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And what we learn if we go back and read the three prior verses is that this person was not in a very beautiful situation. It was bitter. Because it says, I, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. And yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, by themselves, sometimes bitter experiences are, are truly awful. But God is always working through the experiences in our life to make bitter better. And like Naomi, we might say, I don't, there's no way God can take our bitter experience and make something better out of them. But sometimes, just like she did, we have to wait on God for his plan to unfold. And when we're not willing to wait, sometimes that's when we get into trouble. That happened to the Israelites. They weren't really willing to wait. And we know that because in Psalm 106, verse 13, and every time I read this verse, it reminds me. Those Israelites, they soon forgot what God had done. And they did not wait for his plan to unfold. That's my challenge. You know, hope doesn't ignore the facts, but it also doesn't ignore God either. 
And while it's okay to talk to God about your problems, there are going to be times when you need to talk to your problems about God and let them know where God is. Because no matter what happens in your life, as long as there's God, there's hope. Why? Because God is always working behind the scenes to bring better out of bitter. And the reason we know that is because the Apostle Paul actually wrote that amazing verse in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in, in how many things? All things. God works together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And you know, I, I know those words are intended to give us hope, but I've also noticed they don't automatically give us hope, you know, because what I'm coming to understand is that I, I think hope is actually a spiritual discipline. If you want to have hope, it's got to be a spiritual discipline. And that's because hope is the practice of believing God's loyal love is true for my situation right now and in the future. Now that's hard when I'm in the middle of it, but all I can say is that time and time again, I've watched God bring benefit and blessing out of every one of my bitter life experiences. I've encountered his grace but only in his time and in his way. So I got to ask, what, what bitter experience are you facing today? And if you're not, when you do, what will you do? Because it's important that we clearly identify it and then consider how God's loyal love might still be at work in that situation and ask God to show that. And then practice the spiritual discipline of hope. Not that necessarily your circumstances are going to change, but that your mindset will actually change as you begin to dwell more on the loyal love of God than on the circumstances that are so bitter. Because there's no circumstance that you're facing right now that can separate you from God's love. And our holy hero, Ruth, reminds us today that God's loyal love never fails. And we're going to close the service a little differently than we do. Sometimes we have a response song. But God amazingly just popped this song into my um, sphere of, of, of awareness just a couple of days ago. And when I heard it, I said, wow, that, that is so true. Uh, it, it's called Sometimes It Takes a Mountain. And I just want you to maybe if you want, close your eyes, but just sit and listen. And if you're going through a hard time, just know God's loyal love has never left you. I faced a mountain that I've never faced before. That's why I'm calling on you, Lord. I know it's been a while, but Lord, please hear my prayer. I need you like I never have before. Sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes a troubled sea Sometimes 
sometimes dump a boatload of hurt in our lives. And Father, I pray that you would help us so that we don't allow our hearts to become bitter. Thank you for someone like Ruth, who in the bitter experience of her life decided she was going to trust you. And in an amazing way, you, you brought such better to her because of her faithfulness. Help us to be faithful to you in the good times and in the bad. And Father, in this room today, I think there's people probably struggling with some bitter experiences. And all of us are going to face those eventually in life. God, help us in those moments. Instead of leaning away from you, to lean in to you trust your unfailing love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.